Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf and Simon. And we're on and Three Yards Per Carry is back. We're no, no longer talking about games because Dolphins are not playing in any games. So this is going to be our series where we're going to evaluate the roster as it stands right now with pending free agents and all. But as always, this show is brought to you by Factor Meals. We have a dedicated page over there, and I just finished getting my order for the week, by the way. So I am a customer. And if you go to the our dedicated page, which is factormeals.com forward slash three yards per carry five zero, that's the number three yards per carry five zero, and use the same promo code three yards per carry five zero, you get 50% off your first order. And as always, we are also brought to you by dietsmoke.com. You can use the promo code Waddle as in Jalen Waddle, Waddle, and you get 50% off any one item. Uh, I'm told you're a customer, Chris. I may or may not be. I cannot confirm nor nor deny um, that I am a customer. Uh, And I would say that um, they have a, uh, they, they do have, I, you know, this is, this is verifiable. You can see it on the website. They do have a, uh, what they call a fruit and fireworks packet. And uh, I cannot say this for certain, but I have heard that you will be probably the most detached from the planet Earth that you've probably ever been <laughs> if you um, if you were to do that. So um, I don't know who told me that. It's, you know, some guy I probably met on the street. That's it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the in the first part of this show, first half of the show, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks as they stand. I don't think we're going to talk too much about Skylar Thompson. Unless we're going to talk about <laughs> replacing him, and Mike White uh, managed to throw a pick six in garbage time this season, so I would say that the evaluation on him is universally bad on this podcast. So evidently, we're going to spend the first fifteen minutes or so of this podcast and the first half of the show talking about Tua Tagovailoa. And I go first, okay? Now I'm just going to open the floor, free discussion. In my opinion, this season, way too many turnovers. That's not him. He should not be having 14 interceptions. I understand that the fumbles are a different story. Uh, He got charged for a fumble, which was on a handoff to Darrington Evans. My God, if he's getting charged for that as a fumble, the NFL has to revisit how how they count fumbles in this league. But 14 interceptions are way too many for him. Otherwise, he was okay. Uh, Actually, pretty damn good. He has an aversion to throwing corner routes, and I don't know why he doesn't throw them because he delivered a dime against the Kansas City Chiefs in in Frankfurt, and Tyreek Hill just dropped it. But his turnovers kind of torpedoed his season. I don't think they were going to beat the Ravens even with his best game because 56 points is a hell of a load to handle. But that last game in Buff- against Buffalo, that's on him. That first YOLO throw was on him. And if you're going to boil down an entire season to one game, I am in that one because that game against Buffalo, I don't really care about the one in in Kansas City. Uh, Like I said, that game that Patrick Mahomes played in minus five degree weather might as well have been 400 yards and and eight touchdowns, okay? Because he managed to manufacture offense in what was ungodly conditions. And he's the best quarterback on the planet. So I'm not going to blame Tua too much for that game. But I can't blame him for that game in perfect conditions at home against the Buffalo Bills, and he came up short. Um, If there's something I want him to work on, 
work on your body a bit. Um, kind of soft body, but it helped him get through the season. I think it, the arrow's pointing in the right direction, but he has to work on his decision-making. 14 interceptions are way too much. And if you boil them down, I would say about 11 of them, because I went, I went through them today, uh, were bad decisions. And some of them were just straight-up YOLO throws against, you know, too deep, where especially the one against the Bills. Uh, those guys were standing in the parking lot, and he's throwing a streak down the numbers against to Tyreek Hill when it's essentially going to be triple-covered by the time he gets down there. So that's my evaluation of Tua. Arrow up, but plenty to work on going forward. He finished the season unlike how he started it, and that's also a concern, this fading that he's doing uh, these last two seasons is, I'm not going to call it a trend, but it's a concern. It's something that must be addressed. What say you, Simon? Uh, I think it's a fascinating discussion and one that will go on until probably until the guy retires. And I feel sorry for him that he's the center of so much attention because a lot of it isn't on him really in terms of, you know, I've never really understood why he gets so much attention whether it's the color of his skin whether it's you know he's not a bad guy he seems a, a wholesome really good guy um maybe he's um maybe the issue is that he appears in an era where there are quarterbacks like justin herbert like patrick mahomes like josh who all have big arms and are massive and physical and can you know do all these amazing things and maybe that's just you know a bit of a knock-on effect. I mean, I saw, you know, Benjamin Solak did a, from the ringer did a quarterback tiering system today and he had Trevor Lawrence's in the second group, which baffles my mind. No, in the third group, sorry. Patrick Mahomes was on his own at the top. Then there was a group of three quarterbacks, one of whom was um, Justin Herbert. Then Joe Burrow was in the group below um, with... Uh, Joe Burrow was in the group below with Trevor Lawrence, which I found so bizarre because imagine being you know, bad enough at your job. Like if I was really shit at my job every day and yet everybody thought I was really good, that would be, you know, I like Trevor Lawrence. and I, You know, I'm a huge advocate of him coming out, but, you know, he has flattered to deceive. And two was in the in the penultimate grouping alongside Daniel Jones and Derek Carr. And I just thought to myself, I just wonder what, you know, because whatever you think about Tua as a person or as a player, he doesn't really deserve to be in that grouping. What do I think of this season? I, I thought... You know, huge highs um, and some pretty decent valleys as well. Um, 95% of the snaps, I think we'd all have taken that. Uh, I think we'd go into year five with not as many questions as we did this time last year or, you know, in terms of building up to the to the season, but certainly a number of question marks that make you concerned, I suppose. The biggest being that for me, his best game of the season was the first game of the season. Uh, we never saw him top that, which was a shame. The the, the issue against really good teams is uh, it is an issue. It's not a narrative. It's a fact. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I saw some very interesting numbers, I think, posted by Joe Shad, and you can probably find them on his Twitter. I think it was Joe. He talked about his career numbers against playoff teams, um, and they are not good. Uh, and even Peter King was talking about this morning. You know, franchise quarterbacks have to be better than 0-3, 57% completion rate and a four to five TD to pick margin as two was in his last three games. And there have been moments. And the thing I don't understand is that, you know, he was defined at Alabama by what he did in the biggest moment of all, which was 
you know, coming out of that sack in overtime and throwing that touchdown to, to Devonta Smith to win the national championship, you know, delivering in the very biggest and moment. going blow for blow with the greatest college team ever. Remember? Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And what we've not seen really as a pro is him be able to deliver those massive moments driving down the field at the end of games to win big games or to beat teams. And, you know, I felt against, um, I felt against Buffalo when we were down 21-14 at the end that he was going to throw an interception. And that's a terrible thing to think, but I just that that's just how the kind of the it had built up. So I think there are there are plenty of positives. Look, he, you know, he clearly works so well with Mike McDaniel. There are so many things that the offense does really well with with him at the helm. You know, and I've undenied about whether or not he's the, you know, can you win a Super Bowl with him? And I, you know, I'd love to think so. My heart says Yes, my head says no. Um, and I suppose I probably fall a little bit with what Daniel Jeremiah said not long after the Kansas City game. And I, I look at you know, he was bad, he was really good on script against Baltimore and then bad for the rest of the game. He was bad in Kansas City. Um, and it wasn't just the weather, you know, there were throws that he missed, there were wide open receivers that he missed. You know, he had a, probably had a massive game slash touchdown to Tavon H. And he just threw it at his feet on a little. You know, a swing. He threw into double coverage into the end zone to Tyreek when he had Jalen Waddle wide open underneath. There are so many factors to this whole question. The the tree of things that we can improve on. You know, we have a Tyreek problem. We've discussed it so much on this podcast before in terms of we look for Tyreek probably too much. Mm-hmm. We need to find we need to find better options beyond Tyreek and Jalen. I think Carl Krabs on his podcast made a very good point today that teams always knew that we were going to throw the ball when Braxton Barrios came in because like 79% of the times that Barrios was on the field, we threw. So we're kind of tipping our hat. And go back to Daniel Jeremiah's point, I just think that we the situation for him needs to be perfect, I think, for him to win a Super Bowl. And by perfect, I mean that we probably need to surround himself with better, surround him with better players at the skill position. So that would be, you know, a better tight end, a better number three and better number four receiver. I, I like the backs and we'll get into that in the second half of the show. The interior of the offensive line needs to be better, but I also think that the Dolphins have to get home field advantage. I just don't believe that he can go on the road to Buffalo, to Baltimore, to Kansas City, where it's cold in January and win games because he hasn't proven that he can do that. And he's proven to me that he plays smaller when you want him to play bigger. Generally, yes, Dallas was a you know was a great win, and he did drive him down the field at the end of the game. But that it, that has not been the rule. That has been the exception. There is so much to like about him, and I go back. He is a likable character. He's a seems like a great team leader. The, the teammates love him, and there were so many really great, thrilling moments that he provided this season. I just, you know, you just want to see just a bit more when it really, really matters. And and as yet, I just haven't seen the consistency enough in that to make me think. You know, we're coming into year five now. It's like you've got to kind of. Can he deliver at the, the very biggest moments? You know, he he's not good out of structure. That's a concern. We've talked about this. I've talked about this on the pod. You know, the, the, the fact that he is so, he looks so jumpy and nervy when he comes off those. And people say he only makes one read and that, that's nonsense. What he does often do is make one read to the side of the field that he's looking at. Sorry, he makes multiple reads to the side that he's looking at. It may look like one read. It's multiple reads. I would like him more to come backside when he's frontside and frontside when he's backside. But there is a flip side to that in that the concussions and all those sorts of things have almost made him 
jumpy and nervous. He doesn't want to get hit. The ball gets out of his hand quick. And that's, you know, so you kind of, there's a quid pro quo there. But, you know, there are, there are definitely things that Mike McDaniel can do going year four to year five that he did going year three to year four and potentially deliver what we all hope and pray that he can do. I just have some concerns about where, what his plateau is and whether or not he's reached that. But, you know, he's definitely the guy moving forward. Is he definitely, you know, we shouldn't be drafting out. We shouldn't be trading for Kirk Cousins. He is definitely the guy. Is he the guy? That's the the thing I have. Chris? Sorry. That I think really that he has some, um, well, okay. Let's look at the mile high view, uh, which is that, you know, hey, this he just completed his fourth year. Um, you know, I, I think that you can point to really discreet and significant improvements that he made uh, from his rookie year to his second year. Um, the first year, of course, he didn't even have a training camp because of his hip, you know, didn't have a preseason because of COVID, you know, kind of thrown in there. Um, and uh, and and so it wasn't wasn't necessarily ideal. Year two, uh, I think he made improvements, discrete and significant improvements as a passer uh, and as a as a total quarterback. Um, still, obviously, not good enough. Year three, uh, even more improvements. We're talking about a guy that was, you know, among the most potent quarterbacks in the NFL, um, which you have to give him some credit for that, uh, because in the annals of NFL history, it's not like, you know, it's not like just anybody. It's not like Skylar Thompson just comes in and leads the NFL in, in passing. I mean, there's, it's, it's not, it's conspicuous when a guy does the sorts of things that Tua did in his third year. And then, you, but then you had the concussions and the hero ball really manifested um, the hero ball that Nick Saban has been complaining about since Tua was, you know, a freshman there. Um, it really manifested with those concussions and he needed to do something about that. And so he goes into the, uh, you know, he goes into the lab between year three and year four and he makes significant improvements on his playing style uh, and overall comportment in the pocket. And he goes 18 games without missing a single one. You know, I, I think some only a handful of quarterbacks did that this year. Um, so significant improvements year one to two to three to four. And we haven't seen that stop yet. When we see that stop, then we start to get a little bit concerned. Um, and so you know, mile high view. Yes, you do have the significant improvement every single year. You do keep in mind he's a 25 year old, and I don't know why we would assume that he's not going to make improvements from year four to year five. There's a lot of people out there. I see them on Twitter. I see them. There's a lot of people that will say what he will never do. And I don't know how they know that, you know, like because we have seen upward trend every single year. So that's the good part. The, the concerning parts that we're seeing are that I think there's a there's a theme, a running theme, that as we get later in the year, perhaps there's more tape on a guy, on the guy. Perhaps he's playing defenses like Buffalo and Kansas City that have already seen him and that have already played him, and they have smart coaches, and uh, they can start to figure out tendencies. Now, this is reflective both of Tua, but I think also of the Mike McDaniel off offense, because there was a lack of breadth in, uh, in, in the offense and the overall variability of it, the versatility of it, the sorts of things that they could 
uh, do to attack a defense. So you start to see um, his tendencies taken advantage of by teams as the year goes on, as there's more tape of him in this offense this year with his tendencies. Um, and I think, you know, his one of his and that goes all the way back to college. If you think about all the way back in college, you know, one of his proudest moments was when he just he had just flashed on the scene, you know, the 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 big uh, the big throws he made in the national championship game. Well, you know, the, there wasn't much tape on the guy back then. So I think that there is an issue with predictability. And that's when you what you see manifested with the um, with the interceptions. Uh, he's not the only quarter, you know, he's not the only quarterback in the history of the NFL, not even the only great quarterback in the history of the NFL that you could say this about. Um, so there is a concern there. He's never going to be a guy, I think, especially after the concussions. He's never going to be a guy that does a lot out of structure. I think that's unfortunate. If you want that, this isn't your guy. Um, that doesn't, you know, Tom Brady never made a lot of, happen outside of structure. Peyton Manning didn't either, and ne neither did Drew Brees. So, um, you know, I, this is the model of what you're going for with him. You just have to make it work, and others have. And so the Dolphins have to do that. I think you're looking at a guy. So you're looking at a guy very early in his career, even by his third, fourth year, is clearly capable of leading the league in most patch passing metrics because he did. You know, I'm not just saying he's capable of it. He did it, you know, and, and uh, leading a one of the most potent offenses in the NFL, if not the most potent offense in the NFL. The next step, obviously, is he has to build more versatility into his approach and uh, start breaking some of his own tendencies, particularly as the season goes on. And um, and I think that starts with trusting the offensive line, which he was almost, I mean, after the concussion, listen, there was a time sitting here last year, we didn't even know if this guy could play football anymore, right? Mm. I mean, it was extreme. It was an extreme situation. He was up against the ropes. He's having conversations, admitted conversations with his family um, and, his, and his wife about whether he should even continue playing anymore. So in order to deal with this extreme situation, and prove that he could continue to play football, they went for an extreme solution. They got the ball out the quickest I've ever seen, right, this year. Um, they The whole offense was designed around getting the ball out so fast, yet challenging the depths of the field um, so that the offensive line would not get exposed for being uh, deficient, which they were. Let's be honest, they were. Um, and, and also because his ability to keep himself, you know, to, to do things outside of structure while being safe about it, he's not that great of an athlete. So they had to go to extremes just to prove this guy could play football. Now I think they're going to have to dial that back this offseason. I think they're going to have to improve that offensive line. You know why you can't get from one side of the field to the other side of the field? Because you only have two seconds to throw the ball, you know? You know why you can't get some of these running back dump offs in the one to five yard area, you know, beyond the line of scrimmage because you can't hold the ball longer than two seconds, you know? And I think that was drilled into him so bad or so much this season. And it was such an extreme thing that they got trapped by it. 
they really got trapped by it at the end. And then at that point, it doesn't even matter whether the offensive line is giving up the pressure or getting beaten or not, because the quarterback is assuming so. And the system is assuming so. The timing that is being built into the system is assuming that and and compensating for that, whether it's actually happening or not. So now what they need to do is build the offensive line so that they can trust it more. And if they can trust it more, and if he can trust it more, then you can start to build in a little bit more variability in the passing game. And then maybe things won't get so predictable late in the year. Maybe you won't be caught in these situations where, God, how come nothing that used to work is working anymore? You know, like, and, mm-hmm. and that that's what I think needs to happen with him. And it's, and it's inextricably tied to the system itself and Mike McDaniel's coaching of it. And, uh, and it's, it's almost, you cannot talk about one without the other at this point. And so that's the next steps, many next steps. I don't know what he'll never be or what he'll ever be. I mean, we'll, we'll, we're yet to see it. Um, but, you know, clearly not good enough because at the end of the day, this is a make or miss league. And at the end of the season, when you're in the playoffs, you didn't make and it's done. The season's done as a result. So, you know, that's it. Yeah, I think you 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 alluded to what he can improve going into next season. I, I'm I'm not sure if I got that from from Simon. So I want it here before we go to break and talk running backs. Simon, what does he need to improve going into next season? Uh, to me, I think that Mike McDaniel has to do a little bit of reconfiguring of of the offensive concepts, certainly in the past game, you know, build around what they do well. But I, I think the structure has to be set up better to make it easier for him to work through progressions. He can't be as jumpy as he patently gets when teams essentially shut down a side of the field that he's looking to throw uh, to. Uh, to me, that that's an issue. That helps him, you know, uh, and Chris makes the point, you know, the offensive line, certainly the interior of the offensive line needs to be significantly better. And, you know, the injuries to Robert Hunt and to Connor Williams especially don't help, you know. So we need to make sure that Hunt is re-signed and that, that certainly those, you know, whether it's Connor or it's a new centre via free agency or the draft and the same with the left guard have to be better. I I can't excuse him. Chris talked about, you know, the offensive line has to be better to hit some of those, you know, little screen passes to running backs. I can't excuse him not being able to do that. That, that, you know, the, and I talk about the Chiefs game is the perfect example. That was just on him, not on the offensive line. I know Chris wasn't alluding to that play specifically, but so I I think those are some of the things that, that need to happen. I, there were just inexcusable, inexcusable is the wrong word. There were just, you know, it's not like he's doing it on purpose. There were just plays that you just, you know, there were so many great plays. Let's let, let's be clear. There were so many great plays, so many great throws, so many great moments. And for 90% of this past season, I know the three of us hadn't, and I think I probably speak for 99% of Dolphins fans, that we had a completely joyous time and he was at the heart of it because, you know, when the offense was clicking, it was unbelievable to watch. We haven't had this since... Prime Marino, and you know that's not hyperbole; that is fact. But I just, I just think I would like to see McDaniel, you know, work a little bit on some of those structures uh, of the passing concepts, um, and so that the tour doesn't have to feel like he has to, you know, make the throw to his to, to the number one target 
on that particular pass play every single time if that's what you know goes through his mind and I don't know that it is because you know we don't have the ability to sit down and talk to him about it but you know I would like to see that I would like to see less of the jitters Chris talked about him his inability to or, you know I talked about his inability to play out structure and Chris said that you know he's not sure that's ever going to be a thing and I'm not sure it's ever going to be a thing it's never been something necessarily that he's been entirely comfortable with in the, in the NFL there have been times against Arizona against the Jets where he ran over Michael Carter you know, you go back to college, you know, the touchdown against Vanderbilt when he did, a, you know, ran around in circles and drew a touchdown. You know, that was part of his game. But I just think the longevity of, of his career and his life, you know, let, let's, let's not forget that when he had that concussion against Green Bay, he was advised in that period of time where he was contemplating what he should do with the rest of his life. life he was advised to not really do anything football related or sport related or activity related for eight weeks, two months of his life. You know, so that his brain could heal properly. You know, he's a 25-year-old man. That is a big deal. You know, so expecting him to, you know, and it must be difficult for him at times to to rein in that, you know, need to go and just run someone over like he, you know, like we know that he likes to do. He he does like to put his head down and run over people and shake his shoulders and uh, and do that sort of thing. He can't do that anymore. Uh, you know, and that will be will always be an issue. He is never going to be Josh Allen in terms of getting out of the point. He's never going to be Kyler Murray. He's never going to be Justin Herbert in terms of being able to do that. I just think we need to accommodate and continue to build on all the great stuff that he does well, but just make sure that, you know, when he has to come backside, when he has to, you know, do some of the things that he just can't quite get to do, that we can continue to build on that. I hope he hasn't plateaued. And Chris made a very good point about, you know, the year on year on year, you know, improvements. And there have been. This year was a massive jump. Um, but can he get to that final point and uh, and really become the, the quarterback that we all hope he is and, and ultimately take the Dolphins to the to the promised land? We've got to win a playoff game. He's got to win a playoff game. And the narrative of not winning games against big teams will remain that until he does it because he hasn't done it. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. Win a playoff game. Win two playoff games. Get home field advantage, you know, and then let's see what we're dealing with. And if at that point, you know, we can't, you know, if we go out of the first round or the second round, if we've got home field advantage, we go out of the, you know, in the divisional round, first game, he doesn't beat anybody. Then again, it's a question. It's an issue. It's a, you know, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? But he's definitely earned the right to have next season. Absolutely. Um, the contract is probably a question for another show, but we, um, you know, I think all of us that, that care about the Miami Dolphins are hopeful that he is the guy that can do it. I think it's okay to have some reservations about whether or not that will happen. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll see what the draft and free agency brings in terms of helping him out. All right. And there you have it. And when we come back after this brief break, uh, we will talk about the running backs. But first, these words. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage to your home or business? Are you having trouble locating a five-star rated general contractor that is fully licensed, certified, and insured? If the answer is yes, then Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. With over 60 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, Jorge, and their team is prepared to handle any size property damage disaster. When an unexpected damage occurs to your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. 
Their objective is to make the cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed general contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that business homeowners and business owners require. Water Cleanup of Florida is now an authorized dealer of Eurocraft cabinets, so premier kitchen, bath, and laundry cabinetry, countertops, and other accessories are available for your viewing at their showroom in Boca Raton. Or, do you prefer to shop from your home or office? Then Water Cleanup will send you one of our design specialists to you with samples and products that fit your style and budget. Call Michael anytime on his personal cell phone if you have any questions at 954-579-0356. That's 954-579-0356. Or visit their website at wcufl.com. You can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And please check out their more than 80 five-star reviews on Google and Facebook. Water Cleanup of Florida. If you have the schmutz, they have the guts. I'm Jalen Phillips, and you're listening to Three Yards Per Carry. And we're back. And we were talking during the break that I give very, very short thrift to Skylar Thompson and and Mike White. I actually dismissed them in the first uh, 30 seconds of our whole quarterback discussion as Mike White managed to throw a pick six in garbage time, and Skylar Thompson never played, and I was kind of glad he never played. Uh but I guess we should address it. Uh, I'll go to you first, Chris. Mike Mike White, Skylar Thompson, go. I think that um, we can't necessarily give it short shrift because, you know, we should not forget that Tua still has an injury history. And so at any given point in the season, we're going to find ourselves in that situation. Um, any given season, any given point in the season. So, um, I, I guess the value I would place on those two quarterbacks is not so much value that we've seen on the field because we've rarely seen them on the field, right? Um, but think of the sweat equity that they've given and put into Skylar Thompson at this point in terms of uh, two years of development. Uh, the fact that he started the playoff game in Buffalo and you know, even though he was not necessarily good in that game, uh, they they very nearly won it. And um, and so I think that with that sweat equity, like, listen, if you're just tossing him, then what were those two years for? You know, that's that's kind of the question that I would have. Um, and so Skylar Thompson, I would think moving forward, because Mike White is a little bit of a veteran and would make more money. Uh, you know, that, that that's a compelling option. This is a team that is hard up against the cap. Uh, we'll talk about that in other shows. But um, so I, I do have to. I do have to say, uh, this is this is a possibility. Skylar Thompson, the thing that seemed like it was holding him back was the overall command of the offense, command of the huddle, command of all the motions, the the play calls, you know, everything. And uh, hopefully that'll improve. Tyler? Yeah, I think, look, you know, the best Mike White is the guy that directs the white, or writes the white lotus. Let's be clear on that. But um Mike White is important and he's important to discuss because of everything that Chris said. You know, Tua does have an injury history. Uh, and if he goes down, this team is built to, you know, do good things, win playoff games. And you need somebody to be able to do that. And there aren't enough good quarterbacks in the league. So get yourself, a, a, you know, as good a backup as you humanly possible. Yeah, he threw a pick six in garbage time. But actually, I, you know, I think that if he was to take control of the offense for three, four weeks, I think we'd be absolutely fine. And we could probably maneuver ourselves through the season. I just think you kind of need that guy. People say, oh, he's paid 5.2 million. 
I, I would take the 5.2 million knowing that we had somebody of his ilk who could step in should we need it. Another great point by Chris on Skylar Thompson. I think they like him. You know, they like the arm talent. You know, is he going to be, you know, somebody that is going to win multiple games in this league? Probably not. But, you know, you don't spend all that time developing somebody and then just kick him to the curb. Um, will they draft somebody else to replace him? Potentially. And I don't see the problem with, with drafting a quarterback every year later on, take a chance on a guy to develop. And that's clearly what they're doing with Skylar. I think it's a good plan. We haven't really done that historically as a team, but I do think that making sure that quarterback room is right is really, really important. It's important not only for team chemistry, and you only have to see on hard knocks how important the, the chemistry was between those guys, but also knowing that if, if number one goes down, that we have somebody competent enough to run the offense in the, you know, worst case scenario. Yeah, and that was obvious watching Hard Knocks that 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 group is pretty tight, very tight. Yeah, and in fact, the I love to see the the video of their their golf championship that they're gonna have. You know, yeah, <laughs> with their isotoners. Yes, uh, oddly enough, uh, that was the last game that they won. <laughs> what was that one against the Cowboys that they were they were talking about doing their golf challenge uh, thereafter? Uh, my money's on uh, on Tua. Like he's really improved as a golfer. So, and and, it, and that's not just him talking about it because he likes to talk up his game, which is always a terrible sign of a terrible golfer. You know, if you hear a guy talking about how great they're hitting the ball, they're not very good. <laughs> but uh, the spy reports seem to to suggest that Tua's a hell of a golfer. All right, moving on to the running backs. I absolutely love this room. I love everything about it. I love everybody in it. Okay. I even like Darrington Evans a little bit, but I know he won't be here next year. Savan Ahmed is, I guess, the lowest man on this totem pole. And I'm fond to say that, uh, fond of saying that Savan Ahmed has never had a bad moment. Sure enough, he had a, he had one at the end of his of his tenure here this year. Uh, but that was it. You know, other than that, he's been a steady performer. If he's playing, then a lot better players before him went down. I like everybody in front of him. I like Jeff Wilson. He even had his moment against the Dallas Cowboys. Devon A. Chan is, in my opinion, going to be a star. He needs to get in that weight room, get to somewhere around 195 pounds. And he can because he weighed 188 at camp when he showed up at camp. And that's before he started losing some weight. So if he was feeling dangerous and he was feeling fast at 188, I wonder what he played the season as at. While you know it wasn't as hot and he wasn't out there in that in that temperature, maybe he played at somewhere near 190. If that's the case, he doesn't have too far to go. Get in that weight room, gain those five pounds, gain those gain those ten pounds if need be. My one concern is on our best player in the room, and that's Raheem Mostert. It's this is now a trend. This is two seasons in a row. Uh, he finishes the season nicked up. He was essentially a mess, and he was playing on guts and guts alone against the Chiefs. Uh, he actually played well. If you look at some of his runs, he was making correct cuts, playing with, with power, with leverage, and maybe he didn't, you know, he wasn't the 4-3 guy, but he was like a 4-5 guy. Uh, but it's two years, and he's just getting older. He did work on his body. He got heavier. I think he needs help. And in a later show, I'm going to talk about giving him some very big help, as in a very large human being 
to share carries with him and lower the load on Raheem Mostert. He is under contract next season. So for those that are wondering, um, and at a cheap number, and you know, this team is going to need good football players at cheap numbers. And Raheem Mostert is absolutely that. Your take, and I'll go with you, Simon, first. Your take on this running back room. Yeah, I generally share your sentiments. Uh, I think most of it is great. Uh, I thought he bulked up to around 215. And, you know, his injury was was unfortunate because of how it happened and, you know, uh, and when it happened. Uh, I think A-Chan is, uh, you know, fantastic, used the way he is. He's never going to be a 300-carrier-season guy. And I think, you know, that the probably 150 mark is probably his, you know, because you just want to keep him healthy and you do worry about... Yeah, you got to get creative with putting the ball in his hands. That's yeah, all you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you kind of mix up how you do that. I like Chris Brooks. I think the team quite likes Chris Brooks. But, you know, again, this is for another podcast, but the issues that we have in short yardage are an issue. Uh, and I do yes. think that we need a bigger back, you know, and I do think sometimes we just need to punch someone in the mouth. We have one of the best two or three fullbacks in the league. Uh, you know, and Alec Ingold will never get the, the love that he deserves, but he's a tremendous player. Um, Pro Bowl starter. Pro Bowl starter, yeah, Alec Ingold. Absolutely. Along with Carl Juszczyk and, and Patrick Ricard, I think they're the best three fullbacks in the league. It's not even close. Um, and, you know, he's so consistent. Um, and But I, you know, I just, I kind of feel like we need a bigger back. And, uh, you know, I'm doing draft stuff and, Last night I was looking at Audric Estime of, of Notre Dame and when I see a guy who's 227 pounds who just comes in and punches somebody in the mouth and, you know, never goes down on first contact. And I'm not saying we should be drafting Estime, but I'm just saying somebody like that who can convert third and ones and fourth and ones, you know, who can just pick up some tough, dirty yards, who in the fourth quarter of big games when teams are stacking the box and, you know, you can just take a little bit of the pressure off because sometimes in games it kind of feels like the Dolphins aren't able to do that. Jeff Wilson did that in the Dallas game, as you alluded to, Alf, which was hugely important. I like Jeff Wilson too. I like Ahmed. Um, I think Darrington Evans obviously won't be back. I, I kind of feel like the, there is space for somebody. People have talked about Derek Henry. I don't see that happening. Mike McDaniel's history would tell you that, you know, I'd expect an Alfred Morris type over a Derek Henry type. Whether that comes in free agency or the draft remains to be seen. I don't. They probably won't touch the room, quite frankly, given the season that that, that they all had. You just kind of feel like, much as I talked about diversity of passing structure, passing concepts, somebody just needs to go back and give Mike, a, you know, the tape of the last two years of of short yardage situations, and and just has to shake him and say, "Dude, just you know, line up." eye formation is just smack some people in the face and uh, and pick up that half a yard. So I like the room. I think it's great. It's diverse. They've got great hands. They can pass protect. They've got incredible speed. Wiggle. A-Chan is a star, but he's got to stay healthy because, you know, if you lose him for significant periods of time, then Chris, we, you know, we would be in trouble. But, you know, it's a good room. Absolutely. Chris? Sorry about the delay there. I'm uh, in the midst of cooking my daughter dinner. Um, <laughs> No, I think that uh, I think that if you look at the room, they have. I want to. I'm trying very hard, and it is hard sometimes because we saw um, insufficiencies or deficiencies in the way that um, that they approached many things in the ground game this year uh, in terms of you know not 
not running enough. I think we all kind of wanted there to be more, uh, to be more commitment, um, not running in short yardage situations, um, not, not getting downhill uh, at times, even, you know, even just as a change of pace. Um, and where I have to school myself a little bit is don't mistake the, um, the lack of variability and the lack of um, smart decision-making in the approach with the lack of variability and versatility in the room itself. They had Chris Brooks. They could have run him in short yardage. They didn't. They had Jeff Wilson, who plays above, who punches above his weight class, uh, and they could have used him in short yardage situations. They didn't. Okay, they had Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan, uh, guys that can do wonders with the ball in their hands, throwing them the football, uh, and they could have featured them more in the passing attack, particularly as teams started to pull back their linebackers into deeper portions of the field and still stay in cover two. Uh, and they could have done that. They could have, they could have done the classic cover two beaters with their running backs. You know what? They didn't. And the question is, is that really because of in, in like deficiencies in the running back room or was that just their approach? And was that, or was that to his decision-making? You know, that's, that's the question. That, those, those are the sorts of things that we have to uh, uh, tackle and address in the offseason. I don't think the room is deficient. I think that Chris Brooks, Brooks could do damage in short yardage. I think that Jeff Wilson could do damage in short yardage. I think that Devon A. Chan and Raheem Mostert are perfect for catching passes out of the backfield uh, and using their speed to, uh, to really victimize linebackers that are in backup mode, that are bolting to their landmarks, their deep landmarks right off the snap. Um, so they need a new approach. I don't necessarily know that they need a new running back. Now that said, listen, we know that every running back with a name under the sun, if there was a rumor <laughs> that he was available, the Miami Dolphins called about it. Okay. They, they called about Jonathan Taylor. They uh, called about Saquon Barkley. They called about Josh Jacobs. Uh, they inquired after Dalvin Cook. They inquired after, uh, you know, um, uh, Jamire. There, there, was, there was all kinds of rumors about uh, Mike McDaniel being absolutely in love with Jamire Gibbs uh, in the draft. And, and he was a first-rounder. We didn't even have a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, every running back under the sun, there was clearly a theme there. If you had a name, the Dolphins were after you. And so, uh, so I think that, um, you know, if, if we have a little bit of a reality check moment, even though I don't think there are any deficiencies in the room, I think they had great talent, great variability, versatility, and we just didn't use it. Um, do they share that belief? Do they, do they go after a Saquon Barkley? Do they go after a Derrick Henry? Uh, I still have my doubts unless it's a true, you know, bargain level contract. But at the same time, um, you know, hey, the, the past is a good indicator of the future sometimes. And so so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Simon, I'm going to do something that I love doing, which is called uh, reading from the game book. And I'm going to ask you this question. Maybe there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with this this room and you could bring it all back intact 
uh, right down to Savan Ahmed, as long as there's a change in uh, mindset from this coaching staff, because I'm going to read something that just it just really bothers me. The score becomes 13-7 in that playoff game against the Chiefs. We know about the weather. We know how it was. They get a good return out to the 35. And then this is what the game book reads. Mostert left end to eight for eight yards. Mostert left end for four yards. Mostert up the middle for three yards. Mostert up the middle for six yards. Timeout. It's third and one. Tutangavaloa, pass incomplete. Fourth and one. Tutangavaloa, pass incomplete. Turnover on downs at the Kansas City 44-yard line. Is it just a mindset change? And instead of being, I believe they were, what, 15th in carries? Be top 10. Be top 5. Run the ball more. Is it as simple as that? Buffalo seem to have look. Buffalo has a much better quarterback than we do. Okay, I think that's that's fair to to say. Josh Allen's a stud, and people think that Josh Allen just dragged this team to the divisional round and went seven and one down the stretch because he was just lighting everybody on fire. No, he was not. There's a lot of two hundred yard passing games in there. He won a game by twenty points where he threw ninety for ninety one yards. Okay. Uh, they did it by getting behind that offensive line and running the football. It was a mindset change that Joe Brady instituted. Is it as simple as that, Simon? Uh, it is. Uh, to me, it absolutely is. To me, it is. Uh, Mike McDaniel is always the smartest guy in the room, almost without exception, and rightfully so generally. I just think he overthinks and outthinks himself in critical moments. And what I have liked about McDaniel is that he generally has accepted his uh, problems and his foibles and some of his mistakes since he's been here and he's adjusted them. And that's what I would like to see next season. Uh, I just think, like you say, it's simply a case of almost losing control of the big moment and trying to think that teams are, are going to be expecting a run. They're not going to be expecting a screen or a fade or a, whatever it is that he calls and just go back to the things that, you know, the things that have worked for so long, things that we know that can work. And yeah, uh, that's what I'd be doing. And that I would hope that there are smart people in the room in the off season who say, Mike, you know, this is what we need to be doing more of. Uh, Chris, you, you know, agree? just, just, yeah, just, I, just something on that. I think you cannot talk about the lack of commitment to the ground game um, toward the end of the year without talking about the issues on third down. Um, and I know that we kind of sometimes tie in the third and short issues with the, um, the, the lack of commitment to the ground game. Cause you know, there are third downs that we've seen where we would have run it, you know, we would have downhill run it. And they clearly did not. Um, but when you convert, I think it was something like two out of 24 third downs in, uh, in the last two games of the season, the most you know pivotal games of the season against Buffalo at home and then on the road in uh, Kansas City, then you can't run the ball. You, know, you, you just can't. The, the math doesn't work. You know, it, it's you're, you're getting off the field too much. There's not enough situations for you to actually start establishing that run to get into a rhythm um, and, and do things that way. So this is this is inextricably tied to the third down problem and uh, and the third down, particularly, I think, third and short, third and medium. Um, and then third and long started to show its head at the end of the year, because now you're holding the football 
uh, a little bit longer. And now it's like, well, do you have a real offensive line or did you have an offensive line whose uh, lack of abilities you were masking by uh, through quick passing? Um, so, you know, you can't you can't really run the ball if you can't convert those third downs. Uh, and a lot of those games in the uh, in, uh, toward the end of the year where we're like, why don't you just run the ball? Why don't you just run the ball? There's there, a lot of that is was just impossible. So I think that uh, I think that they're tied together. And uh, and so it's not necessarily just about um, commitment to the run, because I think that I think that Mike McDaniel at a certain point in the season did try to find a religion. But then he found that third down was getting cut right out from under him. They were no longer no longer able to convert those third downs. And um, and they really need to discover the why of that. And uh, they need to work on it. If that is the thing that they're going to be, that Mike McDaniel, that I know that Mike McDaniel is going to go in the lab and truly, uh, truly um, bang his head against the wall trying to figure out for months this season, this offseason, I know that it is going to be third down. Um, so, you know, that's those two things are tied together. All right, Simon, uh, let's get to the point where we start we start talking about how do we Im- improve these guys from this offseason going into next season. Um, there's going to be time to talk about whether we can save money with Jeff Wilson with a mere promotion uh, by cutting Jeff Wilson with a mere promotion of Chris Brooks into his role. But I would say that the biggest improvement that they can make in this room is to get Devon A. Chan with a good long offseason with Tua Tungvalor to try to get some chemistry in the passing game because once that starts clicking, and that and look, this is something that I saw in camp, and they tried to incorporate it, and they had the very the very famous near miss uh, against the, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, that could have gone for a big one. That could have changed that whole game. And, and of course, he beat his man way off the line on that long touchdown to, from Tua to Tyreek against the commanders. So there were opportunities with him split out wide, but in camp, I saw him running a lot of wheel routes and a lot of choice routes. Uh, some of the stuff that they incorporated very late in the season Tua never seemed to have a good chemistry with him. And I think that that should be uh project number one for those two guys. Like Devon a Chan should be on Tua's hip this off season. And whenever Tua's is working out, he should be out there throwing at Devon a Chan. They got to get a little bit more chemistry together i think that's that's how you improve this room is to improve on the skill sets that the skill set that devon hn has what say you simon uh, to me it's improved the offensive line uh, and i think that that speaks to every aspect of this offense and what we're trying to do improve the offensive line uh, and we go from there yes hn can work with two he can add weight etc 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 but until this offensive line gets better i don't think that this this team can get to the place that it wants to go to because it's intrinsically linked to everything that we're trying to do. And that has to start with the guys up front. Has to. All right. And I think we could end it right here. Chris, how do you improve? How do you improve from within in this running back room? Uh, you know, it, it, Simon stole it. <laughs> it really is. It really is about the offensive line. If you want more versatility in your, um, by the way, sight and scene, because we we haven't gotten into any anybody else. It's safe to say that this is our favorite unit on the team, right? Because all three of us are giving rave reviews to all these guys, right? What the running backs? Absolutely. 
it's our best unit. Yeah. I tend to agree. Well, I mean, I don't know about the whole team, but I mean, it's a, it's a good group. It's a, it's a, you know, once Mike McDaniel said when he got into the Miami, and he told this to Mike Silver in this big, long, very revealing interview that uh, the personnel department, when he first got there, they're meeting and they really wanted to focus all their resources into an over, overhaul of the offensive line unit. And Mike McDaniel disagreed with them, but he didn't want to just like stand up and say you're wrong. So he created this drafted this 25 minute video of two of doing things and um, and showed it to them to with the point being, I want playmakers. Well, they, they've focused on getting those playmakers and those playmakers include the running backs unit. So so we shouldn't be surprised at this point that they've built a pretty good room from a running back standpoint, but I think now they need, now it is time and we're, it, it's probably not helpful for us to like start uh, like litigating history and, and say, well, what should I have done? They should have done di- this different or that different. Uh, I just know that right now it is time, you know, it is time to start addressing this offensive line in a real way because their, uh, their lack of variability in their approach was an issue and if your if your lack of variability in your approach is an issue um then you need to improve the areas that naturally and inherently feed into that variability and one of those is the offensive line the other is a tight ends unit um because those are the the inherently versatile uh aspect and variable aspects of your of your offense so you can't get a downhill running game going. Okay, build it, build an offensive line that can get a downhill running game going. You can't call uh, runs on third and short, or you don't think you can. Okay, get an offensive line that lets you use Chris Brooks in that manner. You know, um, that's what they have to do. That is absolutely what they what they need to work on next. Uh, they need to improve it. And um, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, you know, over the last five years or or so, if you track these sorts of things. Uh, quarterbacks generally the same quarterbacks playing in the playoffs that played in the regular season they generally take you know a tenth of a a tenth of a second or more uh to throw the football than they did during the regular season that's the playoffs that's the way the playoffs work out and i think that if you really track that from like september to october to november to december it would just get longer and longer and longer the miami dolphins were not built to do that you know, they were not built to increase the amount of time that they um, that they took. And I don't just mean from a personnel standpoint, although that is that is true. I mean, from an everything that they had developed strategically and schematically, they were not built to do that. They were not built to take that extra time. And um, and I think that that's why they're going to keep banging their heads against the wall in December and January uh, unless they address that. And one of the ways that you do that is by improving the offensive line. You improve the offensive line, all, you, then you have more variability in your approach, and all of a sudden you can use those running backs in all those different ways that we talked about, all the, the running do, backs that we like so much. You know, How would you do that then, Chris? How would GM Chris Kaufman change the off? What would you do? Right. The offensive line? Yeah, what would you – if you put yourself in Chris Greer's shoes, what – what sure. are you doing to to you know given our cap situation, the draft picks that we have, no third, no fourth rounder? What what would you do? Who would you bring in? Where where what would you what would your starting offensive line be for week one of next season? Well, there's there's a couple of things that I wish I did know and I don't because uh, one I don't know what Teron Armstead um, is going to do in terms of retirement or not retirement. Uh, even if he but is not retiring, easier, I might escort him out. To make it easier, let's operate under the assumption that he's he wants to play. He wants to play. 
I think even if he even if he wants to play, I would probably I would probably uh, cut him and move on. Um, I think that there's too much uh, there's too much um, uh, instability in guys that you can't count on to be there uh, from game to game and from play to play. And and he's one of them. And he's playing on, you know, on a, a, a body that's held together with uh, with tape and, and glue. And so you can't count on that that stability. I think it starts with the center at quarterback exchange, though. And so a decision has to be made about whether Connor Williams is I don't know if he's if there's something behind the scenes about his character or his comportment within the locker room that that bugs them or if he is just, you know, a great guy. If he's a great guy and you just want to plug your name next to him, okay, do it. Plug your put your name next to him, pay him the money, get that quarterback center exchange um, you know, protected and stable and start there. Then you then you build out and that's where I think you're just going to have to spend resources in the draft to do it because even if these guys are not you know, right away in September, what you need them to be September and October by December, they can be, you know, they, they, you get that improvement from the offensive line. So yes, uh, if you're not going with Connor Williams, then you should be looking at um, uh, what's his name. Uh, uh, JPJ from, uh, from Oregon. Um, Jackson Jackson powers Johnson. Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did I say Jackson twice? No. Um, yeah, no, but uh, yeah. yeah, then you need to go with him because not only not only is he a good center, but he adds an element to the offense because he's so big and so strong that you don't necessarily already have. And now you can start to get some downhill runs going, some inside ground game going. I think it's about adding elements to the offense, and so getting some guys that kind of break your own mold for how you think it should all be is kind of the point you know you 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 have to do that and so i think that that would be a smart move um you could even justify that if you keep connor williams because you can put one of them at left guard and keeping robert hunt is obviously going to be a priority for this team as well but i think that you know between him and a guy like um troy fatanu of um of of Washington or even uh or even Jordan Morgan. You know, Jordan Morgan of uh of Arizona is uh is a really athletic, big, strong guy. He's very technical in nature. Um and I think that uh I think that he could present, you know, uh value to the team in multiple facets. And that's really what it what it gets down to as the at the end of the day is getting guys that present value to you in multiple ways so that you can start to call some things differently or game plan a little bit differently if that's what it calls for this week. There wasn't enough of that in this year uh, in their uh, their approach to each week. All right, and I think we're going to call it right there. The next time we talk to you will be later on this week, and we're going to talk about wide receivers and tight ends. I hope you enjoyed this first installment of our roster review. We did this last year. Uh, we're doing it again this year. Later on this week, wide receivers and tight ends. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. 